So welcome to the Q&A. Uh, so we have the questions kind of come in from you guys on the female fat loss group of the February intake. So it's it's really cool to see the first week and the amount of questions that are kind of coming in. So one of the big questions that has come in is in relation to should we weigh in daily? Uh, how to measure calories without using a scales or weighing the food? Heart health uh, and menopause, which is an interesting topic. I know the person asked that question works in heart health. So, and that's a really big topic. So I know a lot of my clients would be kind of comparing menopause, particularly my one-to-one clients that I work with them very, very hard with and very close with. And then we've got, is stress a factor when not losing weight? Is it because it makes you lack of sleep or is the body holds onto fat stores? And then how to, any tips for, eating at a buffet, which I haven't been asked before. And then the the spices do they add to calories when making dinner and stuff. So I'll start with the the kind of the, the menopause question. And I'll kind of go from there. So the menopause, like menopause is on average starts at around age fifty one in the UK. And it will impact it's kinda of like a second puberty is generally what it's like. And it's it can be very, very difficult for some and easier for others. And it's about understanding that your mindset might change, your mental health might change. It's about knowing what getting your hormones screened is number one, talking to your doctor and having open conversations about those. You could have night sweat, you could have hot flushes, you could have irregular periods, period changes, heavy bleeds. You could have um, a little bit of osteoporosis, osteopenia, those kind of things that can happen around it as well. There could be more mood swings, more irritability. There can be some elements of depression as well, chronic fatigue, memory lapses, but it can be managed. And there are options for people, particularly around HRT. And if you don't want to go HRT route or it's not available to you, you could potentially go down the, the, the route of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy as well. But we need to look at it from, uh, we're looking at it today's bit from kind of heart health and the menopause. And we all know that the main ovary hormone, estrogen, which is the main hormone in the body uh, for, for women in particular, men have estrogen as well. Women have a little bit more. And it's it's almost like it's, as I think it's Macy Hill calls it, like your Beyonce hormone. It makes you feel like a lady or a woman. And we know that from kind of heart disease and research into it that the the blockage of the arteries or coronary heart diseases tend to occur seven to ten years later in women than in men and women have fewer uh, focal coronary artery blockages at, at all ages and we also know at the higher estrogen levels before the menopause are generally related to better vascular function reduced coronary uh, vessel inflammation healthy kidneys and um and the conversations around kind of heart health needs to be really really improved and it's it's important that a healthy heart the vessel lining is looked at and that can be really sensitive to the relaxing properties of estrogen itself and but this all starts to kind of reverse after menopause so generally after menopause with peri is the stage before menopause menopause is when you have no cycle after a year and this vascular stiffness uh and other diseases can develop over time as well. And when women and those who have menstrual cycles and going through perimenopause and they lose estrogen, it can be a slippery slope for some people towards increased body mass, 
Uh, it can be an altered fat distribution that you may notice that your body is going towards the more male dominant shape. And what I mean by that is if you were if you look at when women were younger or those who have had cycles when they were younger, you'd hold a lot of your weight in potentially your quads and in your bum. And now it's kind of more shifting towards your hip and into your belly more so because because your estrogen levels are dropping and your testosterone is increasing which your testosterone is the male hormone and that's essentially what's happening it's going towards a male more, more male dominant shape and that, that can happen some people when when people then start to lose estrogen cholesterol increases levels of ldl reduced levels of hdl and increased triglycerides as well increased blood sugar or blood pressure should i say impaired uh like reduced reduction in metabolism but that doesn't really happen until after 60 and even then it's very very minute and then there's also impaired activity in cardiac uh, blood vessel lining as well and all of these can lead to kind of a fourfold increase in heart disease and stroke uh, which i know this is not a very cheery topic but i think it is something that needs to be looked at and it's thought that kind of premature menopause patients have a 53 so 53 percent increased risk of heart disease but these studies aren't aren't an awful lot of them and it, it's quite tricky to say how much of this disease is to do with early menopause and how much is actually associated with genetic factors such as weight cholesterol activity and smoking etc so like as from the research there's no actual randomized trials and kind of only observational ones and most recent published in i think it was 2019 that involved about 144,000 females a little bit over 144,000 females in the uk who had uh, confirmed ovary hormone loss before the age of 40 so that would be kind of takes about seven to ten years for kind of perimenopause for some people to kick in so average age 51 seven to ten years before that it generally kicks in early menopause will be classified before that stage and what they've said is the researchers found a small but statistically significant increase in cardiovascular disease with early menopause but it needs a massive massive research because menopause is only one of these things that are changing and the the, the, the voice around it is changing which is amazing to see and it's one of those areas that isn't hasn't been spoken about, about an awful lot the research out there isn't huge so an awful lot of it has to be done more like you're going to have to keep your eyes on it there's going to be up to be an awful lot of investment into it to try and get a change so yes there may be a significant increase but it needs a lot more study to give it a definitive link that's a big big thing you're, you, you can't just say it's definitely this or definitely that normally research when people are looking for extremes what i'm going to talk about now with the likes of kind of sweeteners and stuff um people are looking for definitive saying this is good or bad or this is exactly this or that generally it's somewhere in the middle people are looking for definitive so they can latch on to those stories as a way of protecting themselves more often than not it's looking for a control thing well it's, it's generally not a great recommendation to say it so what can be done to kind of help through perimenopause it's the likes of walking like exercise the likes of getting high protein uh, to help with bone health at the likes of getting some sort of weight training in to help with bone health can really really help and it will change your body composition as well as an extra bone benefit help your mental health as well but the first thing you should do if you've got that chapter of your life 
is and you're feeling that your cycles are irregular whatever age you are you should be going to the doctor to get your hormones screened to make sure that everything's okay if your hormones aren't right or your body's not right your body will generally keep the score you have a thing in your body or in your brain called the hypothalamus which is a region of the brain that kind of protects and controls your hormones men and women have it all genders have it and what that does when it feels under attack or it doesn't feel safe what it will do is it will turn off the reproductive organs in order to protect the main organs so it protects energy it conserves the energy and kind of like goes a little bit of a shutdown like a computer and that's generally what happens so if the body feels it's not getting enough food it feels that it's being over exercised it feels that it's stressed what will happen then is your cycle may kind of um the cycle may decrease in functionality or it might go irregular or it might be heavier bleeds generally or I might stop completely, which is which is hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is HA. So there's an awful lot of, of factors at play, but the most important thing is if you feel like your cycle is a little bit off, or you're at that stage, one number one thing that you should do is go to talk to the doctor to get your hormones screened, and then you'll know exactly what's going on. You'll be able to discuss your options about HRT. You'll be able to discuss your options of non-HRT methods if it's not suitable for you as well and then you'll be able to look at different methods for yourself because from clients I've had previously when they've got the HRT after a while they after a short time they feel like themselves again and it's one of those things that you can almost feel like you're losing your mind and it can be a very challenging time for yourself for those around you your family and it's important to protect yourself when you can so number one thing if you're going through any difference with your hormones is to make sure that you're going to the doctor and get a hormone screen kind of like an nct or um yeah an nct or an mot if you're over in the uk um so hopefully that helps so that's number one is in relation to heart health and menopause how lowering hormones affect this so hopefully that has answered that question the second question is in relation to how to measure calories without using a weighing scales so this is one of those things that if you're weighing foods some people it's counting calories isn't for everyone it isn't for everyone if you have an eating disorder my advice would be not to and the advice out there would be that you shouldn't be counting calories because the way of control and generally the way of control is that it's what caring what other people think is generally the control we can't control we can't control what other people are thinking so that's generally projected onto an app it's generally projected onto a scales it's generally projected onto food that's generally what we do we create the story in our head that we need to know what other people like so we look for a safety mechanism that we can latch onto as a way to protect ourselves that's generally what happens and i think that a lot of people can just be nodding their head right now and saying right that is me that's exactly what's happening so if you have an eating disorder i would advise not to be counting calories i would advise you to go and talk to a therapist and stop trying to lose weight that would be my number one thing if you are coming from a point of view of with counting calories can weighing food help some people yes can weighing food not help people yes so what are the methods that you can use if you quickly google right now before you kind of go any further precision nutrition portion control you'll get a picture up on the internet and that is a really really helpful way to see exactly what a portion could look like a food and what that portion looked like a food it's like it's a palm of protein i think it's a thumb of fats i think it's a, a fistful of carbs um is generally what the recommendation is it'll give you a better understanding a lot of people even those experienced like dietitians and nutritionists 
where like people in general are, are like awful at seeing what our portions are like we're awful so if you may not have the education that's which is not your fault hasn't been taught to you uh we're awful at visualizing how much a portion is because the plates have gotten bigger and there's a lot more food available to us right now than the 50s or 60s so no wonder we can't eat we normally eat with our eyes anyway so we see this big empty plate or this big big massive bowls and we think that we need to fill it up that little bit more so you can you can use the precision nutrition method and you can google that really really quickly you can see the image of what i mean the other way you could do it is you can look at the back of a label and you can see like i know yes i was i know on sort of saturday i was doing a fish curry and i was kind of on i was following a recipe and on it it said you needed 400 grams of cod fillets so i bought a bag of cods and in the bag there was about 600 grams in it so there was i think there was yeah i think there was five i think there was five cods in it and i only needed to have four so i knew myself that it was on the back of the label it's normally done per 100 grams so i knew the bag was 600 grams but i looked at the label and was like per 100 grams is this amount of calories so i broke it down and said right i actually only need four of these so i had one left by the end of it so if you're reading the pack of a label right now and you look at the say chicken fillets or if you're looking at carbohydrates or if you look at the back of a label you'll see that it's generally per 100 grams a lot of people think that that's the total amount of calories in the whole packet and then they end up over and they're like why am i not losing weight it's generally per 100 grams is generally the recommendation so just make sure it's in normally in two sections of the on two little different sections on the on the actual back of the packet for you there has to be a nutritional label on all food at this stage and that could help some people that can also trigger some people so it's hard to give a general recommendation the hand control of precision nutrition is probably the more the better one um but if you're looking to really really in, in, introduce an education i would recommend working with someone or working with a coach in order to help you to understand how to read a label because it can be tricky and you can get bogged down and be reading ingredients and we not, don't necessarily understand what the how to pronounce the ingredients that's a different argument completely and i'm going to talk about that in a second because uh, i know one of you asked me about diet soda and coca-cola and stuff like that so i'm going to talk about that in a second i know i sent a video into the whatsapp group about a video that was kind of like the the long form name for water and that's what our diet coke has in it and that's how easy it is to kind of um kind of say things are good or bad it's like you just put a long name on it and you can actually actually dissect it so can you do you have to weigh your food no a better way could be are you getting I would be like, are you getting regular meals into you? Are you, are you sticking to them as close as possible? Are your measurements or your weight or your photos changing every week? If they're not, then you may need to bring in some sort of sequence. But at the like for some people, it's better. It, they can weigh it at the beginning. Some people don't. I've, I rarely have clients weigh their food unless they're doing photo shoot prep. I rarely encourage it at all. And even then, I'm reluctant to do it. It can help to bring that fine margin. Like a lot of people are, that I work with aren't going to get up on stage. They're just trying to improve their relationship with food. So maybe weighing their food may not be the best op option for them. But if we're stuck at the same weight for a couple of weeks, well, one, we check, are we being adherent for the last couple of weeks? Are we doing our steps? Is sleep okay? Is stress okay? What week are your cycle you're on? 
are are you doing everything you can possibly okay well then we might be needing to bring in uh, a weight we might a weighing of the food or else we'll look at right are we drinking our calories are we going out in the pace and we're not declaring them are you putting food into your mouth that you're not necessarily counting these things add up over time so it's it's the precision nutrition one would probably be the one I'd recommend. I've done the first precision nutrition course. It was the first nutrition thing that I ever, the course that I ever did. So I'm PN1 qualified and it is probably the best recommendation. So if you Google it really quickly, you'll uh, generally get it. Um, so that would be the recommendation on that. The next question was in relation to is the best approach to weigh in daily so that we can see fluctuations and focus on weekly or monthly trends or do you think daily is too much? Generally, with recommendations like this, it the answer is it depends. It depends. So say if someone has an eating disorder, I would highly recommend stay away from the scales like the plague because it comes back to a control thing. So if someone has, is trying to improve the relationship with the scales, it's generally how they feel about themselves. Okay. So generally, it's how we feel about ourselves being projected onto the weighing scales. So generally, if we see the scales goes up, we're looking for validation for our efforts, instant gratification. It's like when you get a dopamine hit off your phone when you're looking at social media. So when you see that the scales is going up or down, you're looking for validation for your efforts. I've done everything I could this week, so I'm expecting the scales to go down. But when that scales goes up, what happens in your head is like, oh, the, the stories that you have about yourself, I'm, I'm a bad person, I'm not worthy of doing this, I'm a failure, I'm fat, I'm lost, I'm X, Y, or Z, insert feeling. And those stories can add up over time and be kind of can knock down your self-worth, your self-esteem, unfortunately. So counseling might be the best option for you there. Is there one best approach? If someone's trying to understand the fluctuations around the weighing scales, a one day a week of check-ins when you're only weighing in one day a week is probably not going to improve that. Okay. There are methods where you don't need to ste- step on the scales and that's that's perfect. I have clients that don't weigh in at all. If you look to improve your relationship with it, one method, I'm not saying it's the method, one method you can do is you can weigh in, you can weigh in more often. So rather than doing it one day and putting all the pressure on that day to weigh in, so some people will check in on a Sunday after they've had a few drinks, have a few takeaways or whatever it may be, and the scale is going to go up. Like it's 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 going to go up. It's not It's not been your normal routine, so it's going to go up. So... If you weigh in, say, on a irregular days like Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, maybe, or whatever days you pick, maybe three days a week, and you'll notice that some of them go up, some of them go down, and you'll be able to take what you do on average. The other alternative is doing it every day, and you'll see spikes up, down, up, down, up, down, no matter what you're doing, and you'll notice how irregular the pattern is, and you'll notice how big a spike is or how drop big a drop is, but you've done nothing different. If you're being adherent, it's nothing that you're doing that is causing it to go up and down. It's normal for it to fluctuate, just like it's normal to rain outside. It's completely normal, but it's the stories that you attach to it about yourself. It's the stories that you say about yourself that you're projecting onto that weighing scales. And that's generally what triggers an awful lot of people. It's like, well, if the scales goes up, I'm a bad person if it goes down. But that's been taught to you or you have learned that from somewhere. And that's generally comes from the likes of Slimming Clubs, or you may have been brought to slim clubs as a teenager by parents or an auntie or something like that. Generally, it's it's uh, role models that bring us to those things. And then you've also got the element of the, the weighing scales. 
you're looking for validation for your efforts. So that's why the weight on a weighing scales will fluctuate. It's only a great measure for what you weigh. It's not a great measure for fat loss. Scales only measures weight. Fat loss is done through measurements, your photos, and your and how you feel overall. So the, the, the scales cannot measure your muscle mass. Doesn't take that into account. Doesn't take into your fat loss. It only literally takes what you weigh at that moment in time. What's the best time of the day to measure or to weigh in? After you've gone for a number two, before any food, before any water, that's the best way to do it. And do it starkers. Don't do it with clothes on. And don't do it on the way out of the gym. Because if, if you've trained already, you've got clothes on one, plus you've probably been drinking water while you've been training. So And also when you're training, your your muscles are getting water into them, so they're going to be weighed a little bit heavier. So if you're the person that weigh, was walking out of that gym and weighing in on that scales at the entrance, you're literally kidding yourself. It's not going to go up. It's it's going to go up, and you're expecting it to go down. It's not going to be true reflection. The only true reflection is if you're doing a fasted, if it's after you go to the bathroom and before food, any food or water. If you really, really want to understand how volatile that scales is, you could do an experiment. And this is what I've worked with, with clients recently, and this I've spoken about on a few podcasts recently, is if you weigh in first thing in the morning after you've gone to the bathroom no food or water then what i want you to do note note down that that number then what i want you to do in the next say hour and a half two hours don't have any food but i want you to have maybe about a liter and a half to two liters of water then once you've had that step onto the scales what's going to happen that scales will go up i got a couple of clients to do it and they went up by like two kg on one of them on 1.6 kg on the other one and I was kind of like, well, how do you feel about that? I was like, well, now I know it's nothing that I've done. It's like, yeah, because all you've had is water. All you've had is water. You've done nothing wrong. A lot of people would say, because I've had, because I've had to take away the scales is up, so that makes me a bad person. That's a story that goes on in the mind. But if you're kind of saying that about the water, it's like, well, I've had water. Does that make water good or bad? Water isn't the issue. It's the relationship with ourselves being projected onto a scales. That's the issue. So... Is there a best approach for everyone? No, it's whatever to tell it to you. If you want to improve your relationship with it, it's either taking it away, that could be advised, or else there could be the oh, the more exposure to it and understanding the fluctuations. It's also realizing that your scales, if particularly if you have a menstrual cycle, that you're you're better off comparing your like week with your like week. So week one of your cycle, post bleed in June to week one of your post bleed in July, August, September, and compare each week of that cycle to in each month and then you'll be able to see because if you're comparing week of your cycle to week after your cycle it's going to be two very different readings there's different hormones at play there's different water fluctuations low digestion could increase after your cycle loads of different things are at play so it's going to fluctuate and people expecting it not to fluctuate is what the issue is it's the expectations what we see about ourselves being projected onto that looking for that extra validation so it, what's the best approach? It's completely up to you. Uh, some people shouldn't weigh. Some people probably need to go to, to talk to someone about it. That would be number one or work with someone to work, work through that side of things. And then there's the other side of things where you can educate and work with someone doing the water thing that I spoke about or else the more exposure to it of doing it three times a week or more and you'll understand it's going up and down. One exercise you could do beforehand is how do I feel beforehand? How do I feel afterwards? There's a few things. 
like I've thrown these in as they kind of come into my head and that could be the the way as well so that's the next question um so now we look at about diet coke and those side of things so with diet coke and kind of diet sodas and stuff like that there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of bullshit i'm gonna say is the word out there about it and i know from experience the people that worry about the likes of diet coke are the same people who are going out in the piss most weekends and snort coke in a jacks is probably what that has happened it's those it's the same type of people that it's not like there's bigger problems at play if you're having an awful lot of drink your relationship with food's not maybe amazing it's kind of you're looking for something to to blame for x y or z it's not there's nothing to blame there's no one to blame either but on off more often than not it's those who are going out in the piss and like yeah are the ones that kind of worry about the, the diet coke in my um but then they're doing coke up to up to the nose, but whatever they want to do. Um, so, if I look at the research, the current research and available research on into diet soda and long term health is insufficient. Okay, although there are specific areas where risks are unlikely, contrary to kind of the the belief that's out there, diet soda with kind of like aspartame, sucralose, uh, or kind of non caloric non-caloric or minimally caloric sweeteners doesn't inhibit fat loss or doesn't spike insulin levels and current research that attempts to link diet soda with type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome syndrome do not have equal caloric consumption so it's excess caloric consumption has the direct correlation and with many health issues it's not the diet soda it's the excess caloric consumption outside of it so we need to look at it from those. So it's there are many, many studies that note that diet soda is frequently consumed by kind of healthy or in commas, unhealthy people. But no studies actually compare the types of diets that those people are on. And there was one study, uh, I think it was the, off the top of my head, I think the Northern Manhattan study was able to control a fair number of variables and found a weak correlation between diet soda and vascular events. But these these differences fairly dis, fairly well disappeared when pre-existing health conditions were considered as well. So are there any legitimate downsides to diet soda? It, in general, there may be a link to poor dental health um, when exposed to when children have it. Uh, I'm not saying there's a definitive link. I said there may. So listen to my language. Um, overconsumption may not be a great idea um, for your teeth. Uh, if you want to have a Diet Coke or a Coke Zero or Diet Pepsi, whatever, have it. Like the, the studies that have said that there's a link with the kind of like the sweetness and stuff, they've been done on rats. We are not rats. Humans are not rats. We have to remember that. So should we be worried? No. Should we be worried? No. And there's other people that are going to say it's going to warm up the same receptors in the brain with the artificial sweeteners and stuff. Those studies have once again have been on wraps and there hasn't rats and there haven't been definitive links for it. So if you enjoy the odd Diet Coke, great. There's water in it. Go for it. If it's your only, only thing that you drink, would I, is that great? Maybe not. 
I would try to replace one of them with water. Don't go cold turkey because you're not going to last. So I would look at maybe trying to... Maybe try to increase your water that end. So maybe replace one of the Diet Cokes with uh, a, a glass of water and that could help you on that side of things. But a Diet Coke here or there is not going to do much, much difference for you. Um, I would, I my preference would be water in general. But if you're kind of out and about or you're out for dinner with your friends or like I'm out for dinner tonight and I'll probably have a Diet Coke or a Coke Zero, should I say. And that there's nothing, my, 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 my teeth are not going to fall out of my head all of a sudden. So people are looking for definitive links. People are looking to blame things. But more research is needed to give the definitive links. More research is needed on those different side of things. But it's like it doesn't inhibit fat loss. It doesn't spike insulin levels. Most people don't even know what insulin means through no fault of their own. They haven't been provided that education. They just latched onto a headline that they saw in the Daily Mail or read or someone else or heard on a podcast or whatever it is. And they latch onto that as a definitive truth. Just be careful where you're taking your information from on that side of things. Um, the next thing that kind of comes in is how to not overeat at a buffet. So with a buffet, so buffets are great. So one way you could do it is eat normally. So say if it's in the evening, one way you could do it is eat normally throughout the day. So have your lunch, have your breakfast, um, have your regular snacks before you kind of go. That way you're kind of like you're not going and starving or you're not restricting yourself leading up to it and then leading to you're really, really hungry so you eat everything in sight. So set yourself up smartly. That could be one way. Second one is when you have your plate, get a smaller plate and fill that up with protein and veggies first because they're going to keep you fuller for longer and then throw in the likes of the fats and the carbs. That could be one way. The second one is sit further away from the actual buffet because what people can see is if you're close to it what we can do there ha- there has some, i think these there's a, a guy called brian wansink i think is his name um i think I'm not sure if these studies have been dismissed or not but i vaguely remember they have but if you're at a buffet and you can actually see the buffet we get competitive and we kind of like make it a game of this person's eating that much, so I have to beat them. So if you're sitting further away from it, you're less likely. But also if you sit away from it or you're back to it, you're le- you're less likely to see what those people are doing um, and you're less likely to kind of make it a game. So that could be two things. They may not be evidence-based. Um, then the other option is have a glass of water in between each plate and that could fill you up that little bit longer. Um, and then... The other one is in relation to see pause after each plate and say, right, am I still hungry? But a lot of people will try to restrict themselves going into it and then implosion happens and they overeat. That's If that's what you want to do, that's cool. Um, but if you're trying to set yourself up smartly, I would eat something before you kind of go. Get a smaller plate, add on protein and veggies onto your plate first, sit away from it, back to it, and that should help you a little bit more. So that would be my advice on that. And I think I've emailed that person that on their check-in as well. Do spices add two calories when making dinner? I really, really think that's like worrying about 10 cent bankrupting someone. I've never heard anyone gaining weight from too many spices. I've never heard anyone gaining weight too many spices. I understand the question, but there's antioxidants, there's flavors, there's different things that are in those spices that can actually have health benefits that can help you. 
uh, like ginger can actually help with nausea there's stuff in like oregano and turmeric and all these different things and cinnamon that actually add to our body then we're kind of we need as well so i i wouldn't worry about it too much when the spice side of things and that's a very short answer then the last one is stress is is a is stress a factor in not losing weight is it because it makes you eat more like lack of sleep or does the body hold on to fat stores the answer is it doesn't hold on to fat stores it's not what happens so what happens with stress is there's generally two responses and i'm going to put an episode in this uh in the show notes for you to listen to because it's a lot more detail it's a full-on like 40 45 minute episode on stress so what happens with stress is there's two responses there's one where it turns off the hunger response in the brain and there's the other one that increases the hunger response in the brain neither are great coping mechanisms one's avoiding the stress and one's denial about the stress so generally it's our coping mechanism with stress so i would be someone if when i get stressed my hunger response would go down so i don't get very hungry but i have to make sure that i'm eating throughout the day because then i'll crash in the evening and that's when i'd be more likely to pick that's generally what has happened and does happen to people and people like that's me then you've the other response of when people overeat when they get stressed and their hunger hormone goes up into overdrive they're looking for these dopamine uh, and um, endorphin hits from food like the likes of the high processed food the sugary foods carbs all those foods that are really really easy and highly palatable and high calorie foods and then once that th- those receptors have been hit and our energy drops again because we've just had a crash we need more of those to get the same response in the brain and get those same epicenters lit up in the brain for ourselves to kind of go from there so it's generally our response like if we're if we're sleeping and we're having a lack of sleep from from stress those who get four hours of sleep compared to those who get eight hours of sleep or more likely to eat about 560 calories extra a day that's one study that's not a definitive link it shows it in one study so that would be one thing to look at but it's generally a, it's it's not about kind of like holding on to fat source that's not what happens it's not what happens it's generally about our coping mechanism with stress and to stress and like if we've never been told as a kid how to deal with stress when things ramp up or we're mimicking our parents or our grandparents when they got stressed and that's what we see as normal so we're going to adopt that mentality but i know the biggest thing that would help people is like hang on right why uh, have i eaten yet so i know today is mental busy it could be easy for me not to eat for the whole day and then just have everything in the evening but that's not going to work that's not going to aid me in any way so it's important for me today of all days because it's the next of my first two days of the week of check-in days is having my regular meals throughout the day even having a little i know when i first started doing it, having little alarms onto my phone to say a reminder to eat and some people are like i'm not hungry he's like yeah but gets you're not hungry or you're so stressed which is it most people don't know what hunger is hunger is that when your stomach is starting to rumble that's when you or you're feeling fatigued or dizzy we don't want to get to that stage of hunger that's true true hunger but we don't most people don't even know what that is we live in a in a society where we have food overload there are people who are struggling to feed themselves right now and there's people who have food abundance and don't know what hunger is or fullness is a lot of people don't know what that is so it's important for us well, because they haven't been educated on it and haven't told or advised how to do it or been trained how to do it it's tough to be in tune with your hunger hormones it really is and i think it for people who are more likely to overeat when they get stressed is you need to keep some sort of pattern with your regular meals 
get your regular meal you don't have to have breakfast but having a regular meal higher protein meals three meals two or three snacks is a pretty safe place for most people to start with any journey most people will restrict themselves to the day and then over it in the evening like why am i not able to stick to anything because your tactic is is not working for you your tactic of restriction is not working for you your, ta- your tactic of not eating enough during the day no wonder you're tired going into the evening and then you're eating all these higher processed food higher calorie foods there's nothing wrong with those foods but they add up really really quickly and then this guilt shame spiral can or binge restrict cycle can happen as well so it's really really important that if stress is a thing you need to look all right can i get my regular meals in throughout the day can i look at my calendar and get a break in there of like a walk to help you booking in regular times to kind of get some exercise and then making sure that you're feeling supported and getting some regular sleep because if you're completely wired all the time and you're on the go all the time you're looking at your phones all the time and you're not able to get some sleep you're looking at emails all the time you're looking at facebook looking at instagram some people have work phones some have personal phones all these digital devices in our life and we're not able to unwind no wonder we're stressed we've more access to, we've access to more information than we ever had but people are more confused because they don't know what to believe they don't know who to believe they don't know where the information is coming from but a lot of people are now are like have an identity of being busy and they don't necessarily know how to deal with their stress because they've never been taught and it's kind of like an element of emotional avoidance um so yeah the stress hard health best approach to weigh in daily measuring calories how not to eat overeat at a buffet and then the spices and calories the last question i think was in relation to i think it was in relation to the calories burned on trackers they're not accurate they're not accurate even the most accurate one that's out there that you can buy in the store uh in the shop is probably around 30 to 50 percent margin of error i think it's even 70 percent in some of them so if you got 70 percent less of your salary you'd notice it so the calories burnt like i know when yeah it's just not accurate uh i wouldn't read into it too much like i would just make sure that are you eating enough before your say your sporting event like your rugby match or your soccer match or your ga match or tennis eating are you eating beforehand if you have a match in the morning some people don't like to eat in the morning are you getting enough food into you beforehand get some food into you because you need to replenish your glycogen stores afterwards so you get some carbs some protein some fats into you after your match and that could help you but looking at your phone and saying right i've burnt 2000 calories today can be a reinforcement of i've burnt 2000 calories i'm going to eat this 2000 calories back and then you're kind of like i don't know why i'm not getting results it's kind of like well stop eating back your calories so if you have your fitness tracker linked to my fitness pal i would unlink it because it's going to add back those calories that you've burnt and then you're going to end up in maintenance or it's going to bring you into a surplus and that could be frustrating for you so unlink that if you were listening to this right now because the calories burnt option isn't accurate in any way doesn't matter it's not accurate and if once on my experience when when clients and people stop seeing exercise as a way of burning calories results tend to happen better relationship with themselves better relationship with them with adherence better relationship with food better ex- relationship with exercise tends to happen if we see exercise of way of burning calories it's a recipe for disaster for most people we don't necessarily burn that many ex that so many calories through through exercise in general if you look at your total daily calories that you burn on a daily basis only about 10 to 15 percent 
of your total calorie days total calories burnt in a day are from exercise you actually burn more calories through digestion of food mainly protein because protein is harder to digest so when people are on a fat loss journey or a weight loss journey when people are saying higher uh, eat more protein it helps to keep you fuller the body has to work harder to process it as that body is working through it and processing that food it's generally burning calories in order to do it I hate saying things as a way of burning calories, but it's generally the, what people kind of get caught up into. Think of it this way. What's going to make the biggest difference isn't that 30 minutes to an hour in the gym. The, what's going to make the biggest difference to people's adherence is what they do in the hours outside of that gym with your sleep, your stress, and your nutrition. If you focus on that, that a hell of a lot more, watch the results follow. Depends on what results means, but generally was what the results follow too many focus on that one hour perfect rep timing perfect heart rate zone perfect fat burning zone perfect exercise perfect rep ranges all these different things when realistically most people could do just a little bit more consistency and adherence rather than trying to go for this all or nothing approach which a lot of people can latch onto. so hopefully this episode and q a has helped if you have any questions pop them below if you have any questions if you're listening to it as a podcast pop them into my dms and i will throw that into the list for next week so hopefully that has helped if you enjoyed the episode please do tag me up on your stories